Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here. How are the Seahawks doing? Let's just put that to ease, huh? 10 to 7, okay. I just want one earbud in, okay? Not two. It's going well, though, right? All right, good. Rest and relax, then, for the next hour, those of you who are Seahawks fans. Hey, last week we started a series called For the City, and as committed Christ followers, we can often feel like we are like exiles living in a foreign land because uh, often the world in which we engage is not as friendly as it once was to the Christian faith, to biblical standards, to uh, what we would deem as truth coming from the Bible. Jesus is Lord. And so it can, be, it can feel awkward, like where do, how do I live my faith out in the world in which I live in? And uh, I, I think we need to turn no further than to the book of Jeremiah, looking at that prophet. We talked about him last week in how Israel was in exile in Babylon for 70 years. And during that time in this foreign land that was not that friendly to their particular values, didn't necessarily see God in the way that they did. And, and so they had to decide, are we going to just kind of grin and bear it and wait it out? Are we going to isolate and insulate and cloister together and withdraw from society? Or, or what should we do, God? And in that, Jeremiah 29, verse 7, God told them, he said, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. If it prospers, you will prosper too. God's instruction was to be a holy people, to maintain your unique identity as God's people, to, to be bold and unafraid in declaring truth, be people of the book. But just because you're the religious minority and just because your voice doesn't carry the, the weight it once had and just because you live in a culture that often twists truth and lets anything go, don't check out. Don't check out. Be unique, stand for truth, but realize, God says, I have placed you in the city to pray for it, to care for it, and to love it. Seek its peace, seek its prosperity, because when you do, everyone will benefit. You see, when God's shalom, that's, that's universal human flourishing, when people do well, when the city does well, it benefits everybody. And as the people of God, we are to be servants of God. We are to be bridge builders and prayers, people who pray fervently for the success of the city in which we live. A great example of a church like that was a church that was for the city is, is Charles Spurgeon's church back in the 1850s. Uh, an amazing kind of story during the Industrial Revolution in England. During this period of rapid and expanding industrialization, something kind of crazy was happening. People were coming from the farmlands and from the rural places, moving into the city of London and Manchester, and all these people from the smaller towns moving into the larger metroplex. And, and because of this overcrowding and the flooding of people into the city, the infrastructure that they had at that time in London was no longer capable of supporting the people 
who were coming in and caring for all of the problems and, and the challenges and the needs that existed. The influx of people into London meant not only would there be more laborers, more factories, and some good things that would be produced, but also more homelessness, and more under-resourced women, and more orphans, and more widows exploded in London. And the city was in a crisis, and the leaders didn't know what to do, and they saw this mountain of need that confronted them, and they didn't have enough resource to solve it. And, and interestingly, in the 1850s in London, what was happening then is kind of happening now. A lot of the churches were moving out of the city center and the core and moving away into the suburbs and into the outskirts of the city. And so that created a unique problem. But the Metropolitan Tabernacle said, we're not going to do that. We're going to stay here because we see this as an opportunity for the gospel. Metropolitan Tabernacle looked at the needs of the people in the city and they began to engage in helping with the problems that existed. The plight of the poor was the most prevalent at that time and pressing, so the Tabernacle leaders created almshouses for the poor, which was a place that was funded through private enterprise as a clean and safe place for people who had lost their job, people in transition, to be able to live. And it was a great alternative to the squalor of the poor houses that existed in London in that, in that day. The tabernacle also, this church, also built a large number of homes for the elderly where they would care for them and help them die with dignity and peace. The church created an orphanage that educated and cared for and fed thousands of orphans. They created homes for single mothers who had lost their husbands and helped them find employment. The Metropolitan Tabernacle started a school for pastors from rural areas to receive a theological education and to provide these, these poor pastors with their books and with clothes and with housing. They started programs for businessmen to use their entrepreneurial gifts to help expand and extend the kingdom of God. Metropolitan Tabernacle's influence spread so quickly amongst the poor all the way up the ladder uh, throughout the aristocracy, it got to the point that if the Metropolitan Tabernacle, this church in London, pastored by Charles Spurgeon, had shut down at any point during that decade of grappling with these problems, the city of London would have been crippled. They would have grieved the loss of the tabernacle, of that church. And with all the social concerns that were going on within the midst of this church, you would think, well, did, did that just water down the gospel? Absolutely not. Spurgeon preached some of his greatest, most powerful, deeply theological messages ever during that period of time. And people were coming to faith in droves, so much to the point that at one, one uh, juncture, Spurgeon told his church membership, quit coming so frequently. Don't come once a month. Make room for those that are coming in that are lost and need to hear the gospel. Now, can you imagine serving the needs of Spokane, seeking the peace and prosperity of the city for the sake of the gospel, that our city would actually miss us if we weren't here? Wouldn't that be a good problem to have as a church? I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started Serve Spokane that meets over here on our campus. 
was to be a church that practically met the needs of those that were less resourced and hurting in our community. And so for almost a decade now, that's been going. That's why we've been emphasizing missional life groups, uh, which, which are a little bit different than your traditional kind of home meeting or life group. Typically, what we've done in the past where a life group would meet is you'd gather together as, as believers of Jesus and you'd study the Bible and pray together and care about each other. And those are all amazing, very important things to do. But a missional life group goes one step beyond those. They, a missional life group does pray, does study the word, does care for each other. But it also has a mission to reach a pocket of people in the city together, collectively, as a group. To say, let's have a mission beyond ourselves. We're not the mission. Let's have a mission and be on mission with Jesus. And so the cool thing about a missional life group is you don't have to wait for the church to go do a ministry that you care about. You don't have to wait for the church to launch something or fund something. That God can put that on your heart and, and then you and a group of people can go and make a difference in our city. Teaming up with some, some of the great nonprofits that exist in our city or in some more select circumstances, you look around it and you don't see anything happening that God's placed on your heart and then you can go and begin to make a difference in that particular way. I love it because that means that it's not just hundreds of needs or hundreds of people that can be reached and met, but thousands. Because as all of God's people rise up to the challenge to be a sent one, one sent by Jesus and one filled with the Holy Spirit, one, equip, one who has equipped and empowered that we make differences. You say, well, what's a pocket of people that you would ever, who, who needs help of our small group? Maybe it's your neighborhood or your public school or a sports team or a refugee family or a foster kid or spouses of deployed uh, uh, armed service or the youth on the north side. It could be any number of things that exist as a pocket of people in need that need to experience God's shalom and God would use you and he would use a group of people like you. Reaching up to God in prayer, reaching in to care about each other and study the word of God, but also reaching out to others who are in need. I love it. I love that we do that and I, I, I love that we can make a difference. What injustice is there? When you look out, it moves your heart. It angers you. It saddens you. What has God placed in you as a passion? What pocket of people? What situation needs a change where you, your compassion, your love, your creativity, your time, and the teamwork of others could make a difference? Jesus said it this way in Matthew's Gospel famous Sermon on the Mount, you'll remember in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this about you. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Light shining through the good works of God's people, being a part of their city, caring for it, praying for it. God's people, that's you and me. We are called to be a city set on a hill where we have saltiness, where we have light, 
where we're distinct, where we're different. We don't give up our identity of who we are. We don't just try and fit in, but we allow the light of Christ to shine through us, through the things he calls us to do and, and the way, the difference that he calls us to make in our city. To be known for what we stand for, what we do, rather than just who we're against. The light of Christ shines through us when we serve our city and love our city and pray for our city. And let me be clear, Life Center North, you do an amazing job. This is a great church. I know hundreds of you who serve in so many different ways. Serve inside of our city, serve inside the church, serve outside the church, just serve. This is a serving church and I'm so proud to be a part of it. And God has, has uh, kind of that unique calling on our life to be a part of that together, collectively. And for many of us, it's not about saying yes to another thing. It may be about cutting out some of the things that are just overcrowding our time. Because whenever we talk about serving, it's easy to go, man, I'm just I'm running everywhere, doing, trying to do everything for everybody. And let me, let me, let me just challenge you. It, it may not be to put another thing on your list to do it. Maybe to cut some things off. The lesser things, the less important things, to really get in that place of prayer and ask God to show you how to create margin in your life, to say yes to the right things. That's how to really lead a life and live a life that makes a difference. Saying yes to fewer things, but saying yes to the right things, the things that Jesus calls you on mission with himself. He gives you spiritual gifts, and he gives us a passion to serve with to obey the call that God's placed on each one of our lives. One great example of this is Kevin Parker. Kevin is our state representative for the Spokane area, the sixth district. Kevin and his wife, Carrie, live here in Spokane. They have three kids. Kevin is also the owner of Dutch Bros and employs over 80 people in six different coffee houses. Uh, and he also teaches at Whitworth in their MBA program. And I, I want to invite you to welcome with me today, I'm going to interview Kevin Parker. Come on up, Kevin. Well, Dutch Bros, that's a, that's a pretty cool claim to fame right there, you know, populating the whole earth with Dutch Bros. No, actually, he's up here <laughs> for more than that. Uh, but uh, boy, I sure appreciate this guy's heart and the passion of his life. He is a passionate guy that has amazing levels of energy. And uh, God has used him mightily in our, in our state and in our city. Um, Kevin found or helped found, I believe, right? You kind of uh, helped found an organization, a nonprofit called Embrace Washington. Has anybody ever heard of Embrace Washington? Embrace? Okay, a couple of you. I see a few hands. Well, before we're done today, you're all going to know about Embrace and, uh, because it's a great organization, a great nonprofit in our community making a difference in the lives of foster kids and, and, uh, and as well as those who are caring for them. So maybe we could start with that, um, with Embrace, and tell us, Kevin, kind of how, how did God put that on your heart and how, how did that start and what is it about? Thanks, Mike. Uh, 
So Embrace can be summed up in this one sentence, that our goal is to mobilize the faith community to make a difference with foster youth across our state starting in Spokane. And so how we want to do that is to partner with the local DSHS office and their social workers. But the key that we're, what we're doing is mobilizing the faith community and mobilizing the churches to make a difference in a very secular environment. So here's how it started. My wife and I, Carrie, we were at um, a safety net fundraiser, which is a fantastic organization for foster youth. And Molly Allen from 92.9 started it uh, with Colleen Quisenberry. And it was a hot July day, and I remember that day so well because I had, a, I had a, like a lot of you in a July, it was just a long day and I was tired and I was thinking, I'm gonna ditch the event. But then I thought, no, I shouldn't, it's Molly's event, I should go. And so I ended up going begrudgingly, uh, I was just hot and tired. And when we were there, we heard a foster youth named Josie give a speech about what it was like to be a foster youth. And it was a really moving speech. In fact, after she was done, for the first time in my life, my wife and I went up to a speaker somewhere and said, that was an amazing speech. That was really meaningful. And then the program is still going, and Josie says, hey, sit down here at our table. And so Carrie and I sat down, and what we realized is that we were at a circular table with all foster youth. And so we started to ask them their story, and they were sharing their story. And then as the night went on, I said, hey, I'll make a deal with you guys. If you guys, if I buy you dinner somewhere in Spokane, and you guys can pick where you go, will you share your story with us? And the guys go, yeah, yeah. And then there's a kid named Justin. And I said, hey, Justin, you're going to be the social commissioner. So your friends will either get a free meal or not, depending on if you follow through with me and send me a text and tell me when or where. And Justin's like, I'll do it. And everyone else is like, Justin, you better call him, man. You better call him. And then uh, and I'm thinking I'm going to get a text and say, hey, we want to go to Red Robin or you know, we want to go you know, to Hogan's or somewhere like that. And Justin sends me a text. And he goes, we've made a decision. We want to meet on Tuesday night, and we want you to take us to Clinker Diggers. <laughs> so I knew I was dealing with a smart kid. <laughs> so we go to Somali Allen and I and Carrie, we all take him to Clinker Diggers, and we have this dinner. And, and over dinner, I started asking, what do you all want to do with your life? And they all said really amazing things. Like one of them wanted to um, be a financial planner. One of them wanted to be an educator. One of them wanted to work for social work. One of them uh, wanted to be a high school teacher. I mean, they all wanted to do really meaningful professions. And one kid said he wanted to go into politics. And I said, listen, we'll talk because you can have a much higher bar than that, certainly. <laughs> and then as dinner went on, they all also shared stories what it was like to be a foster kid. And there, there are some amazing foster parents out there that are saints in our community. There are also some foster parents like in any organization or any industry that probably shouldn't be there for one reason or another. So we heard some great stories on how foster parents made a huge impact on their life. We also heard a lot of hard stories. And one of them was um, like having locks on the pantry so they couldn't get food on their own. They had to ask the foster parents for it. One of them was a leaky roof on their bed. And William talked about how his bed would get wet during the winter because a roof would leak all night long. And then another talked about a cat that the parents would never pick up after. And the cat always used that bedroom as kind of their toilet. And it, like there's every single one of them had a really hard story. Only a couple of them had really good stories. And so we walked away and we asked the question, what do we do with this? And then we said, what would it look like if we followed the lead of an old Young Life kid of mine who was in a Young Life kid uh, young Life kid at a Young Life club. My friend Aaron McMurray and I and others started at Northwood Middle School years ago while we were at Whitworth. Um, 
who came out of that club and started an organization called Embrace Oregon. And Embrace Oregon was modeled after Embrace Texas. All the vision is how do we mobilize the faith community? With that, only 2% of foster youth ever graduate college. And someone after, after the first service asked, whatever happened to Josie? And I was like, oh, I didn't tell you guys. So about a year and a half later, Josie was, um, she ended up going to Whitworth, and we arranged that as far as her admissions, um, meeting with them and seeing if they liked her and she liked them and all that, and it was a good fit. So they accepted her. And then her, her junior year, um, after her junior year, well, I should say about a week before her senior year of college, she came to Carrie and I, and she goes, can I come over and talk with you guys? And we said, sure. And she said, I have to drop out of Whitworth. And um, I said, what? I said, the heck you are. You're not dropping out of Whitworth. And um, she said, well, here's the problem. My last grant that was keeping me there financially has expired, and I am short, and I can't go anymore. And I said, well, Jesse, how much are you short? And she goes, well, I'm short about 520 bucks a month. And then Carrie and I are sitting there, and we're like, hey, Jesse, how much is your rent? And she goes, well, it's like 500 bucks a month. And Carrie and I were like, well, here's your answer. Move in with us, and then you can finish your degree. And all that being said, Josie ended up moving with us, and she is now one of the 2% that has graduated Whitworth, and she wants to start a career in social work as well. That's very cool. What a great story. One of the things that I, I, I think would be helpful for us is to know God, God kind of put on your heart this passion for foster kids and, and the struggles that they have and, to, and, and you, you started something. Not every one of us are gonna go start anything and probably don't need to because there's some great organizations that already exist that, uh, like Embrace that are there. But as far as hearing from God and knowing you know, how do you, how do you get in touch with a passion like that? Um, what, what, what would you tell us? Well, it's an interesting question because here's, here's what I do believe. I believe that God created all of us to serve. And if you look like at John 6, 28, the question becomes, and it's a, it says, the scriptures say, then they asked him, teacher, what do we do to do the works God wants us to do? And Jesus replied with a really profound statement. And he said, believe in the one he sent. So we know that we're supposed to believe in Jesus. So then what do we do? Well, God gave us a heart, mind, and soul. And with that, he gave us a lot of passions. And I think a lot of times where we go wrong as believers and where I've gone wrong for so many years is I serve out of an obligatory sense rather than based more on a passion. And I think obligation and passion should be in tandem. But I don't think, I think if one's apart or autonomous from the other, that's where we're probably not maximizing our gift. But God gave us all to serve. He gave us a capacity. And the kingdom is designed, the kingdom does not work if us in this church today don't give our hearts and lives away to someone or something in the name of Jesus. So I believe there's no such thing as a small thing done in the name of Jesus. And look who Jesus built the kingdom on. He built the kingdom on 11 guys, right? One of them defected, 11 guys that were for all intents and purposes societal losers. And I think where Satan really gets us is convincing us that we don't have anything to give. And I can make a strong case that those 11 guys, and Mike can make the exact same case probably a lot more thoughtfully, that those 11 guys really didn't have much to give. They weren't even believers for the most part until after the transfiguration. Yet Jesus placed the kingdom on them, and now the kingdom rests for us to give something to someone. And I think it starts with mentoring and investing in just one person. That's good. And all of us can do that, right? We can all invest in one person and mentor one person. 
So maybe I can even ask that. Who are you mentoring? Who are you mentoring? All of us, God would bring in our path at least one person that we can invest our life into. And I've seen you do that over and over and over again. Well, tell us how, what practical way can we be involved? Let's say there's a missional community here or maybe a person here that connects with this uh, particular need in our community that says, I, would, I wanna start a missional community that would reach out and serve and partner with Embrace. What, what, what does Embrace do or what would we do practically? Thanks, Mike. So, so if the Lord is moving in your heart and you say foster youth or foster care is one of those areas, here's ways you can get involved in Embrace. One is that um, we do a lot of, um, we look at the social workers as really important people in our society and we really wanna honor them. And if you've ever met one of those social workers, it's amazing what they do, and some have faiths and some don't, and I'm always blown away by the ones that don't have faith. I'm like, why would you do this job? I mean, you see some of the hardest situations in our city, and you see it multiple times a day, and it blows my mind. And so we really want to honor them. We always need people to help us cook meals. Um, we do a Christmas party for them. We also do a, um, we, anytime there's a holiday, they're getting something from us. And our executive director, Lean Alexander, really spearheads this really well. Or anytime someone has something hard in their life, um, if Aline finds out, we try and honor that somehow. Um, and so there's always ways to cook. There's always ways to help us shop. There's always ways to help us be at the parties that we do for them. The other thing we do is a program called Office Moms and Dads. And I forgot to mention this in the first service, but it's one of my favorite things that we do. When a foster youth comes into the system, they come into an office, and I was there one day when it happened, and it is powerful. And a kid walks in, and they kind of don't know what to do because life has just been turned upside down. Meanwhile, you have a social worker with a heart of gold who's making all these calls. Hey, Mike, will you take little Susie? Hey, Aline. Hey, Scott, will you take little Kevin? And li literally, that foster youth is in earshot, in some cases sitting right next to that social worker, hearing them asking someone to take a kid in. And imagine the rejection that you would feel doing that. And so we have a program called Office Moms and Dads, and that is a program where we have a group me um, message that goes out to people that have signed up, and it says, hey, little Mike is in the office. He's six years old, he just got torn out of his home, he's gonna be here for three hours, can you come? And literally those, those messages are powerful, and people will reply back, I can come for the first 30 minutes, I can come for the last hour, or I can come for 15 minutes here or there. And people come in, in the name of Jesus, just love that little kid. Without a doubt, that's probably like one of my favorite things. The other thing we're doing is a um, big breakfast, in some ways that is way over our heads, called the Santa Breakfast, and it's where 450, 400 foster youth will get Christmas presents from us, uh, from the faith community. This has been going on a lot of years from Junior League, and they asked us to take it over, and this is our first year. So literally, if you like feel like God's calling you to serve, we need you. And, um, we are hoping to have a lot of Christmas presents given um, based on age and gender. Those can be inexpensive. Uh, we want them to all be 25 bucks or under roughly. Um, there'd be one way. We need help shopping. Uh, we need help donation of presents. We need help serving breakfast on that day. And what's really cool is every foster youth will get a present, but then they'll walk to the back of the room and they'll get to select a present that we've also got for them to give their foster parents so they have something to give them on Christmas Day. So it's a really cool event. So those are some ways. Um, Aline Alexander will also be back there to help with ways, but there are all sorts of ways for you to be involved. 
And ultimately what we wanna do is change the narrative because right now there's a narrative of we have more foster youth than we do foster parents. And so what would it look like if we were the church in the city of Spokane, changed that narrative to the point to where it said we have more foster parents than we do foster kids. And foster parents that aren't just foster parents, but foster parents that love the Lord and foster parents that I'm gonna give you a roof I'm also gonna give you Jesus, and I know that that's gonna change generations of your family. Yeah. One of the things that we had the privilege of doing when, you know, when we, the church gave away that money to all of us um, to invest somewhere, you know, get creative and so forth, and one of the things that we did was give these welcome boxes to embrace and it, it's not, it wasn't our idea, it's theirs. They, they uh, provide welcome boxes with little, little gifts in it, little, little things that uh, a, a new uh, youth or kid coming into the foster system would receive this in Jesus' name, kind of, I mean, not allowed to proselytize, but able to put a note in there that says, hey, you are cared for, um, we're thinking about you. And then they have these little things that in this time of trauma, they're able to open up and and have some, some little toys and uh, maybe, maybe some garments and things like that. So that's another way that we can get involved is through these welcome, huh? And Friday night out. Yeah, did you wanna say one more thing sure. on that? And we, your partnership means a ton to us and we think a lot of this church for a lot of reasons, primarily because of its authenticity and um, service uh, mentality, which I've seen over the years. Uh, the other thing that you guys are doing um, as a partner, if you don't know, is um, Friday night out, which means that um, on a, we're gonna start it in the winter and it's gonna be a night where foster parents can come, come drop off their foster kids and their siblings and then the foster parents can go and have a break and they can have a date and they don't get charged anything and their kids get loved on and they get, again, they get loved on by the community of Jesus which I think is so powerful. And that's Great. what you guys are doing, that is huge. Great, well we're, we wanna pray for you and uh, so appreciative that you would come in and, and be able to hear from your heart, be able to talk to you and listen and learn. And uh, so um, let's see, I'm gonna test my memory here from first service. Wisdom, balance, perspective. And, and, and just awesomeness? Okay. okay, let's pray for us. God, we just thank you so much for Kevin and his family. And, ask God that your blessing would rest on him, that you would continue to give him favor, Lord, with uh, those that he's reaching, those that he's uh, influencing. Favor from the, the smallest kid that, that he has uh, some influence in all the way up to uh, the state level, Lord, and the national level. We pray, God, that you would be blessing him. God, giving him wisdom in all of his decisions, giving him wisdom in how to communicate his faith in practical ways that make a real difference. Lord, we ask God that you would help him with the schedule and all the busyness and pray for balance, Lord, between the, the demands of, of, of the job and the demands uh, of, of the, even the compassion and yet the needs of his own personal life and his family. Lord, we ask God that your shalom would just rest over him, his family, and all that he is in doing and influencing. And Jesus, we pray that you will help us grow and learn from his passion and influence us in like manner. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you give him a warm thank you?
he'll be up here to just hanging around uh, if you'd like to talk to him before uh, you leave. And, and then um, also, Aline, will you be here or at the information counter? At the information counter and have some information for you if you'd like to learn more or be involved. I'm going to ask uh, Dylan and Shana to come up uh, right now. We're going to pray for them. Dylan and uh, Shana Cochran. Dylan has been our worship leader here for the over almost close to two years, a year and nine months, and, and uh, they just have a wonderful family, and we've been able to be a part of their journey and have been so thankful for that, and it's hard to be able to let them go, but uh, God is calling them elsewhere, and so we, you know, that's tough, that's tough, but you know, one of the things as a church family that we've been a part of over and over again is uh, releasing people, because people don't belong to us. Uh, they're the sheep of God's pasture. And so we get to invest, we get to be a part, and then we eventually get to say, God, they're yours, and what do you want to do? And so this next chapter of their lives, we're going to be praying for God to bless them, open up the right doors, give you um, all of what you need moving forward. And we're just so appreciative of all that you've done to make this a wonderful church family and your investment in us. Thank you. Would you, uh, let's stand up together as we pray for the, this wonderful family. God, we just thank you so much for Dylan and so much for Shana, so much for their boys. God, we ask that you would be blessing them and strengthening them. Lord, thank you for the privilege of investing. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of their journey in, in this last uh, season of life. And we pray, God, that you would open up the right doors for them, that you would make that path smooth, that you would... Bless them at every turn. Lord, we, uh, we just thank you for using us and help us, Lord, uh, in all of the, the stuff it takes. It's not all happy. Some of it's hard. Some of it's sad. Some of it's difficult to let go. And yet, Lord, we're trusting that you have great things for them. We're trusting you have great things for this church. And we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name, we commend them and commit them back to you. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Yeah, these guys are amazing. Make sure and come up and thank them and talk to them before you get out of here. Uh, we have our uh, first connect that's happening. If you're first time here, second time here, and you want to learn how, to, how do I connect in this church, kind of like it, want to check it out, make sure and get with Pastor Scott. He'll be right underneath this monitor. It'll just be about a five, ten minute meeting. God bless you. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Go on.